0: Uh, We are continuing our series uh, through the miracles of Jesus that we've entitled Miraculous Close Encounters with Jesus. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 14 this morning. You can turn there. It will also be on the screen behind me. We'll be in Matthew chapter 14 verses 22 to 33. Uh, This is one of my favorite uh, miracles, miraculous events that Jesus participated in and, and I love this story I've, I've preached through this text a number of times and I just love it every time that I revisit it and have an opportunity to, to revisit it and preach this text it just uh, gives my heart great joy and I hope that uh, you too will have great joy this morning as we look at this great passage together and uh, see how God would challenge us this morning. Matthew chapter 14 beginning with verse 22. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Uh, Just in reading this passage, as you can imagine, as a pastor preparing to preach a message in this text. Uh, there are so many areas that could be focused on in this text that we could have a series of messages just from this one text with so many fantastic principles and truths that we can see here regarding prayer and Jesus taking time to pray in isolation to the Father regarding faith and trust regarding uh, the power of God regarding the confession that would be made when Jesus got back into this boat there's so many portions of this text that are so fantastic and and what we're going to try to do this morning is just pull out and look at a number of truths to consider and then from those truths make some applications that would affect us in this week that is to come Uh, So let me just, as far as helping us to understand what's going on here and understand the text, as you know, uh, Jesus previously had been Uh, doing miraculous things. Just immediately preceding this, Jesus would be feeding the 5,000. Prior to this, in Matthew's Gospel, we read that he would be healing the blind and the lame and the deaf, and he would be casting out demons. He would restore a young girl's life. Jesus was demonstrating over and over and over again that he is the Son of God, that he is God-made flesh dwelling amongst them. If you remember even back to last week's message that uh, Jesus was on the boat with his disciples at another point in time in his ministry and he was sound asleep while there was a great storm on the sea and, and the disciples were in fear and they wake Jesus up and, and Jesus stands up and from his sleep and says, be calm, peace, be still. He calms the wind and the waves and they obey him. And they ask the question, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Jesus is demonstrating his power and his authority. The the passage before us today says that Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him. And it says that when Jesus was going to come to him, uh, it was the fourth watch of the night, verse 25. Just to set this scene here, that's between the hours of 3 and 6 a.m., Uh, That they're out in the middle of the sea here when Jesus is going to come to them on the water. Between 3 and 6 a.m. there's complete darkness on the sea. Uh, A parallel passage, another account reminds us uh, about this particular portion of God's word in John chapter 6. That the disciples had rowed out, it says they were some ways off from the land. And John tells us that they had rowed out 3 to 4 miles from land. And so they were out in the midst of the sea 3 to 4 miles from land, it was there was complete darkness on the water. If you're on the water three to four miles from land, and there's complete darkness that is on uh, the sea, and the land would be dark at that point in time as well. Everything that you're looking around you when you're in the midst of the sea is darkness, uh, you can see nothing. Um, their, their boat would be tossed back and forth by what's going on in the sea. I immediately thought, man, here Jesus is making his disciples get on the boat again. If I'm them, I'm like, we're never going on a boat again, right? From last week and then this week, every time Jesus says get in the boat, they're like, you sure you want me to get in that boat? Like, what's coming now, right? Every time Jesus says get in the boat, something's going on, right? But this is the scene, and so they're there, and they're, they're out there, and Jesus is not yet with them, and they are terrified, they are afraid, uh, and they happen to see Jesus walking on the water and coming to them. So this is the scene, okay, context-wise. A pretty incredible scene here. So let me just point some truths out that I think are important for us today. Number one, we see in this passage, Jesus can do what we cannot. And I think this is important to be reminded of today because have you ever found yourself in a situation where you're like, man, I can't do that. There's nothing that I can do. How am I going to navigate this? How am I going to process this? How am I going to solve this? And many times the correct answer is you can't. I can't. But understand and recognize in our day-to-day living, Jesus can do what we Cannot. Look at the, again the scene 22 to 25. They're out there. Jesus is on the mountain praying by himself. Evening comes, he's there alone. The boat then went out a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea. Now here's what I find very interesting about this. Okay, they, they had a boat together that they traveled in, and Jesus says, You go ahead out in the boat. I'm gonna go pray. Jesus can do what we cannot. So even when Jesus was on land and, and he was there, Jesus didn't have to make arrangements for another boat. Think of that for a minute. They have a boat that they're traveling in. He says, go head out in the boat. They all leave. He's there by himself. And, and I don't know if they're wondering or not, but they're like, well, how's he going to get to us? Think of this. Jesus didn't even need a boat to be able to meet them on the water. That's incredible to me. That's incredible to me. Jesus can do what we can. It says, in the fourth watch of the night, there they are, beaten by the waves. The wind was against them. Verse 25, he came to them, not in a boat. Look what it says. Walking on the sea. Do you know anybody else that can do that? Anyone. We took a vacation not long ago, and... And we won, and this was, this was last year, and we did this thing with, with our girls where uh, you could go on this boat, and they would go out, and it was like a dolphin watch thing. And, and we were on this boat, and they knew that there were dolphins in certain spots in the water, so they took the boat out there. And when you're out there, you know, you're a little ways from land. You can see people on, on the beach still, and you're out there, and you see these dolphins, and they're just hopping, like, out of the water, like, next to the boat. It was the neatest thing. But can you imagine if you're like, yeah, our boat tour is going out there to watch those dolphins. You're like, boat? We don't need no boat. Let's walk out there that's what Jesus is doing here he's walking on the sea to meet them as they're in this storm that's incredible and I love that the way Matthew records this he says it twice okay he says it twice it says verse 25 in the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea verse 26 when the disciples saw him walking on the sea it's like he repeats it just in case you missed it By the way, Jesus is walking on the sea. I think we can all pause and reflect for a moment and just come to this conclusion. Jesus can do what we cannot do. I don't know about you, but I'm quite thankful for that. That Jesus can do what we cannot do. Now here's what, to me, even adds to this this incredible thought about Jesus can do what we cannot do. In Mark's account of this, Mark chapter 6, let me read this to you. Because I think it's just so great. Mark chapter 6, verses 45 to 52, it says this. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat, go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. Okay, this is right after he got done feeding the the 5,000, right? It says this. After he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. Okay, same scenario. Mark's describing here what, what Matthew's describing. And Matthew adds the detail. They rode for some time that there were waves beaten on it. They were afraid. It was the fourth watch of the night when Jesus is going to go to them. So there's darkness there. But listen to what Mark says here. And I think this is absolutely incredible. Verse 48. And he saw that they were making headway painfully because the wind was against them. Okay, don't, I want you to understand this. Jesus is still on the mountain praying to the Father. The disciples are on a boat on the sea. There's darkness. There's winds and waves beating against the boat. Jesus is not physically present there with them. But look at what it says. He saw that they were making headway painfully because the wind was against them. Even when they were miles away from Christ in the midst of the sea, in the midst of that darkness, and Jesus is on the mountain, Mark describes it that Jesus could clearly see and knew exactly what was going on while they were there on that boat. That's incredible, folks. That's that's incredible to me. No one else can know that or do that. And I thought, what an incredible reminder. I wonder, have you ever been in situations where you wonder, does God see? Does God know? Is God aware? Here the disciples were, Jesus physically not present with them, but Jesus fully, fully aware of all that was going on right then and there in the midst of that sea. What an encouragement. What an encouragement that this is. Jesus can do what we cannot. And I think that's an important reminder because all of us are going to face times in our lives where things are, are happening or we're in situations and we're like, I have no way of remedying this situation. Maybe some of you are there right now. There are things that are happening in your life that you've been asking and calling out to God for answers. You've been seeking and seeking and seeking. And you're in this troubled spot because, you know, you have no power, ability, or authority to change it. You have no power, ability to change it. Nor does really anybody else. And so where do you and I turn? Where do we need to turn? Let me illustrate this. Sometimes on on Tuesdays when we play basketball, we'll be playing and someone will shoot a shot. And when they shoot it, if you ever played basketball, the ball will get lodged between the rim and the backboard. Have you ever had that happen or seen that happen? Someone shoots and and the ball gets shot at the the hoop and it gets lodged right in the corner of the rim and the backboard. And normally when that happens, just because I want to be funny, I'll be like, oh, I got it. And I'll act like I'm going to jump up there and dislodge it, which is not going to happen, Okay. And, and so here's what everybody does when we're on the court. Everybody kind of does this when that ball gets lodged up there. They kind of like look around like where's tall guy at? Like everybody looks around to look at everybody like who's going to get that? Now if it's just like our staff playing and some other people, most of the time right away everybody's like get another ball because no one's getting that ball down. Because we're going to have to dislodge it with another ball. But the natural reaction if you're playing basketball and that happens is you look around the court and you look for the guy that you know can, can jump up and get that ball. And so you're looking for someone who's tall or who can jump or someone that you know is able to get up there and reach it, because everybody else has already checked themselves out of the mix because they know there's no possible way they're going to dislodge that basketball. They don't have the ability, they don't have the talent, they don't have the height, they can't do it. In situations that we face in everyday life, how often do we find ourselves in that exact scenario where something's going on and we're like, yeah, I have nothing to offer here. And we're looking around and like, who, who, do I, who can help? Who can take care of this? Do you know there's never, ever an example or time in our lives, no matter what we face, where the answer to who is able to take care of that, where the answer cannot be Jesus Christ. Able to take care of whatever it is that we face in our lives. He's fully able because he can do what we cannot do. That's the Savior that we know and serve. And I think this passage is a great reminder for this because here they are in the midst of the sea. The waves and the wind are against them. It says they are, the boat was beaten by the waves and the wind was against them. Matthew reminds us they are far ways away from land, three to four miles from land. There's no hope that they're going to row back to land to get out of this storm. They're there and there's nothing they can do. And yet Jesus, three to four miles away on the mountain praying to the Father clearly sees what they're going through, and he makes his way towards them. That's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Luke chapter 18, verse 27, Jesus speaking, he says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Can I ask you, are you thankful for that this morning? That what is impossible with man is possible with God. And we can share and cite so many examples of this. The very fact that we are here this morning as followers of Jesus Christ is an impossibility for man. But possible for God. The very fact that we who were sinners, rebellious against God, haters of God, that God would make us alive. Impossible for man, but possible for God. Secondly, in Christ we can do what we cannot. I want us to understand the distinction here. Jesus can do what we cannot, but in Christ we can do what we cannot. Look at verses 26 to 29. It says, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. They said, it's a ghost. They cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Can I just ask this question? How often do you need to hear and be reminded of those words again from Christ? Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Jesus is in control. He's fully aware. He's fully present. Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered in verse 28, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come, So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. In Christ, we can do what we otherwise cannot do. Don't miss this. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, and again, some of you, you know, you read, you're like, man, I love Peter. (laughs) Right? When you read this. Peter, like, Peter's, I'm trying to think of the emotional shift in Peter's life here. They're on the boat, waves, wind, darkness three o'clock in the morning ways away from land previously when they had the storm come up on the sea Jesus is asleep they wake him up peace be still everything's calm who is this that the wind and waves obey him he's not in that boat with them right now so the fear that must have struck their hearts and then to top that off as they're in the midst of all that like to pile on they see someone in the middle of the sea walking on the water coming to them and they don't know initially that it's Jesus Have you ever seen something where you're like, don't know what it is initially, and your heart flutters real quick when you get like surprised, or you get shocked, or you see something and it's like eerie, and it like makes the hair on the back of your neck like stand up, and it's that feeling of like, what is that? You ever have that happen? I think that's probably what they felt when they saw Jesus, not knowing it was Jesus walking in the middle of the sea, not in a boat, but just walking. And they cried out thinking it was a ghost and Jesus says, it's me, don't be afraid. And Peter's immediate reaction is, Lord, if it's you, let me get out of this boat, perfectly good boat, and come out on the water and walk to you. Command me to do that. And Jesus says, come. And don't miss again what Matthew says, Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water to go to Jesus. This is miraculous. Miraculous not only in what Christ was doing, but miraculous in what Christ empowered peter to do in this instant peter could not do that on his own peter could not do that on his own he would never be able to do that on his own but christ empowered him to do that do you realize as followers of jesus christ we are promised in god's word that he will be with us he will be with us he will sustain us His grace is sufficient for us. And so in the strength and power that he gives in Christ, we can do what we otherwise would never be able to do. Peter's confidence is in Christ. His faith was that Christ could enable him to do the impossible. He was an eyewitness observation of all that Christ had already done. And here, Peter walks on water to go to Jesus. Peter is a human being like you and I. He's a human being like you and I. Peter's not fully God, fully man as Jesus is. He's not even partially God and fully man. Peter's man, just a human being. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, empowered to walk on the water. In Christ we can do what we otherwise could not do on our own. This makes me think back, when I, to illustrate this, of the home run race in 1998. Roger Maris had set a home run record of 61 home runs back in 1960. One and Hank Aaron had uh, broken the home run record and, and uh, 37 years later, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa we're going back and forth with home runs breaking and setting new home run records. If you remember that era and that time, if you were a baseball fan, it was an exciting time because almost on a, a daily basis when there were baseball games on, uh, you would want to tune in and watch to see if McGuire or Sosa would, would top the other with home runs. It was ridiculous. It was like every time they got up to bat, you were expecting those, those to be, you know, the balls to be gone, like to hit the home runs. Uh, they went back and forth and hitting 66 and 70 home runs. In the one season. It's ridiculous. And then Barry Bonds enters the scene in 2001. And he breaks record and hits 73 home runs in in 2001. Uh, Shortly after that time period, there was a great crackdown on steroids. Performance enhancing drugs. And believe it or not, the home runs decreased. After they broke that down. Now, I used to have fun with this. Where you would look at pictures of Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa and Barry Bonds. Um, when they first started in the major leagues and even a little bit into their career, you would look at them, and these weren't small guys, but you would look at them and you would think, okay, those guys look athletic and those guys look like they could probably hit pretty well and and they look like they would be professional baseball players. But then there was like a point in time where like kind of all of a sudden you were like, holy cow, I bet they could hit 80 home runs because they look massive. Like you would look at them, they'd be holding the bat and their arms looked enormous and their chest looked big and they'd get up to bat and it looked almost like it was a cartoon and how big they looked in the batter's box and their their bats almost looked small in comparison with how big they were and there were pictures of them standing next to other players and they just looked massive and, and it's like man what what happened like they've really been hitting the weights like that quick that like it not only gave them like more like strength and they look bigger but they look like different people almost how big they look and then when they cracked that on steroids, it was like, hey, what happened, right? What was going on there? Well, steroids, performance-enhancing drugs, were enabling them. And if you disagree with this, you know, don't fight me. Don't write me emails, okay? <laughs> just just take it, <laughs> okay? <laughs> just take it. But... but steroids, most people, I'm not going to say this is a fact, most people would believe that it was a performance-enhancing drug steroids that enabled them to do what they otherwise would not be able to do. When you took the performance-enhancing drugs, most would believe, not all most, would believe that it was performance-enhancing drugs that enabled them to do what they could not otherwise have done. And when that was taken away from them, they were no longer able to do what they could when it was with them. That's what I think of when I think of our relationship with Jesus. Not that Jesus is artificially allowing us to do anything. No, it's completely authentic. But what the believer in Christ can do in Christ versus the one who does not have Christ is is just completely different. In Jesus Christ we can do what we otherwise would not be able to do. And as a child of God, we have to be reminded of this because if you are here today as a follower of Jesus trying to do something on your own power, your own strength, you will fall short. We will all fall short. But in Christ, through the power and strength he gives, we can do what we otherwise would never be able to do. And Peter is is just a testimony to this in this passage. Peter walks on the water to go to Jesus. I want you to think with me for a minute all that the word of God and the New Testament scripture specifically command us as believers to do and process this with me. How many times Jesus would say, you have heard that it's been said, but I say to you. The standard that God would call the believer in Jesus Christ to. I want you to think about this with me for a minute. We're called as believers to love our enemies, pray for those that would hate us, love those that would persecute us. How in the world is that even remotely possible? We're called to love one another, pray for one another, do good to one another, live peaceably, with all men, as much as dependent on us. Love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love one another, even as Christ loved us. We're called to do good to all men. We're called to present ourselves to Christ as a living sacrifice. We're called to be holy as our God is holy. We're called to be fishers of men to be Christ ambassadors, to be imitators of God as God's dear children, to let our light shine before men that they may see our good deeds and glorify our Father on heaven. We can go on and on and on at what we as followers of Jesus Christ are called to live and to do and to implement in our lives, the mindset that we're called to have, the actions that we're called to take, the heart and mind that we are to possess as followers of Jesus towards one another and towards those that hate us. And if you just line all that up and list all of that, God wants us to trust him when it seems like there's no possible way to trust him. He wants us to depend on him when most of us are so naturally seeking to be self-dependent and independent of God. God wants us to do good to all, even those that would hate us. That's ridiculous in the minds of anybody that doesn't know Jesus. That's crazy. He's told us to set for ourselves treasures in heaven, not on the earth, not to allow there to be a preoccupation with what this world has to offer to us. To speak up the name of Christ, even if it means we could have our lives required of us. Do you know how hard that is? How crazy that is on our own? We can't do that. You can't do that. I can't do that in our own strength or in our own power. How many days do you wake up and the first thought on your mind is, I want to let my light shine today. That's the farthest thing from your thinking. You're like, I don't want to see any light today, right? You're, that's, that's your mindset. If another Christian comes over, hey, brother, what a great day, and you're like, I don't want to talk about it today, right? That's your mind. There's days like that. But on those days and the days that you wake up thinking, I'm going to let my light shine today, in both of those situations, you and I can do nothing apart from Christ. And in both of those days, he is still available and with us. That's the God that we serve. On our own, we can't love like God wants us to love. We can't live like he wants us to live. We can't shine like he wants us to shine. On our own, we can't. But in Christ, we can do what we cannot on our own. We need him. Every day, we need him. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul the apostle, who was in prison, by the way, when he wrote this, said, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstances i have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need i can do all things through christ who strengthens me this is one of the most quoted passages of scripture its people's life verse philippians 4:13 i can do all things through christ who strengthens me it's on their walls it's in it, you know it's everywhere Philippians 4:13, do you know the context of this is not Paul being like, all right, when Goliath comes, I can do all things with the stone. That's not the context of this. The context of this is Paul talking about learning how to be content in all circumstances. When he has plenty and much, and when he has nothing, when life is smooth sailing and when there are storms, when he's loved and when he's hated and persecuted. And by the way, He's writing this while in prison. And he says, I've learned this, the, the secret to contentment. I've learned how I can endure whatever comes my way. I can't do it. But through Christ, I can. Daily through Christ, I can do all things because he's the one who strengthens me. And we have to understand this as children of God today, you and I apart from Jesus, we can't do anything for God that's worthwhile. You can't live for him. You can't serve him well. You can't do anything that is of eternal value in this life apart from Christ. And that's what God wants us to know. You can't save yourself. If you're a child of God today, you didn't do that. God did that. You don't earn your salvation. I don't earn my salvation. Jesus has paid the price. And it's only through Jesus Christ and Christ alone that there's forgiveness of sins in life. And if you don't know Jesus today, you need Jesus. Don't believe the lie if you're here today. I'm just checking out Jesus as an option. He's not an option. He's the only option. He's the only one that can save you and redeem you and empower you. There is no other name. That's it. It's Jesus. We got to go really quickly here because I spent way too much time on that point. Number three, failure comes when our focus is altered. This is, I think it's just on full display. Verse 30, when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid, beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Peter is fixed on Jesus. His eyes are fixed on Jesus. Lord, come to me. He comes. He's going to Jesus. And we read of a transition. Verse 30, when he saw the wind, when he looked, when he took in the elements that were around him, failure came for Peter when his focus was altered. He sank. Peter, we know his story. He would would deny Christ when Christ was facing the cross. His focus would be altered. Peter began to care more about his surroundings than he did about Christ in this passage. And the same is true when he denied Jesus. He began to care more about those that were asking if he belonged to Jesus even than he did Christ at that point in time. Peter's focus changed. And this true for you and me as well? Don't we have those times in life where, like, I love Jesus, and Jesus loves me, and I want the world to know I love him, I love him, I love him, I love him. And then there's the other times where we're like, I don't know if I really want people to know I love Jesus. Why are you so happy? there? Well, I don't know. I don't know why. You go to church? Ah, yeah, sometimes we go to church. You know, it's a thing the family does. And other times, man, yeah, I go to church. You believe me? Jesus is my Savior. Let me tell you about the gospel. I'm going to tell you right now because you need to know this. Failure comes when our focus is altered, and we fail. The writer of Hebrews would remind us to to take into consideration the great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. He says, let's run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking, and I use this in the New American Standard Version because I love the way they translated this, looking only at Jesus, the originator and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know what the writer of Hebrews is reminding us? We're to look only at Jesus because when times get tough, how did Jesus handle tough times? When persecution comes, how did Jesus handle persecution? With great endurance, long-suffering, Because he knew the joy that was set before him, enduring even the cross. Failure comes when our focus is altered. Quickly, number four, Christ remains faithful in spite of our failures. Christ remains faithful in spite of our failures. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, "Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Peter's sinking, and and I love that Jesus, when Peter was sinking, was like, Too bad, Peter, you're sinking. Look at me. Right now. He reaches out, he saves him, he pulls him, and he asks him, why did you doubt? Peter, there was no reason to doubt. You were walking on water. What changed here? Why did you doubt? 2 Timothy 2, 11 to 13, Paul's writing to Timothy, says, this is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we'll live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Our God is faithful to us even when we fail god remains faithful jesus remains faithful to us and then number five jesus is god and he should be viewed and worshiped as such verse 33 those in the boat worshiped him saying truly you are the son of god jesus is god he should be viewed and worshipped as such. Hebrews 1.8, the writer of Hebrews says, God is speaking of the Son. He says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. He says of the Son, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. John chapter 1, verses 1-4 through 4 and verse 14 may be familiar verses to you. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is God, and should be viewed and worshiped as God. These are important truths for us to remember and recognize as we face life, as we face life Oh, how much more he should increase and we should decrease. Oh, how much more should he be the recipient of our worship, of our faith and life's commitment than ourselves. I want to pray for us in just a moment, but as we wrap up, let me just give you these challenges, and we can just put them all up on the screen. Challenges to implement. One, live life in view of what Jesus calls and has equipped you to do. As a follower of Jesus, we should be living and walking and breathing in view of what he has called and equipped us to do for his glory. Number two, be available and expecting for God to use you as a child of God. Be available and expecting God to use you in ways that in your own strength you could never be used. What an exciting thing. What an exciting thing. Number three, stay focused on Jesus. Stay Focused on Jesus. Number four, confess sin, forsake sin, move forward. If there's doubt, if there's a lack of faith, if there's fear, confess it, forsake it, and move forward focused on Jesus. And number five, keep Jesus as Lord, not ourselves or anyone else. We're not here for ourselves. It's not to be about you. It's not to be about me. It's to be about Jesus. So let's keep him as Lord. Let's serve him as Lord. Let's glorify him as Lord. Because he's the only one worthy of that. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And we thank you for your love. God, I thank you for this great account of Jesus walking on the water and then empowering Peter to walk on the water. Just a human, sinful human being like all of us. We thank you, Lord, that we can have confidence knowing you can do what we cannot, but through the strength that you give, we can do what we otherwise could not do. Thank you that when we fail or when we falter, you remain faithful. We thank you, Lord, that you as the Son of God, as our Savior, are to be worshipped as God, and we, we worship you in that way today. We give you all the praise and glory. Help us, Lord, to stay focused on Jesus and to live for you this week. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.